will for our life. And I guess that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about having, hopefully, an encounter with God where you're never the same again. Uh, like Keith Green, do you remember him, the old Christian artist, just child prodigy, could have been famous like Billy Joel, had an encounter with God in the 70s, I believe, turned all his talent around and wrote songs unto the Lord that we, I think we sang one this morning, oh my Lord, uh, that, was, that was, thank you Lord, you gave me that, um, so Keith Green, we love him and unfortunately, tragic uh, plane uh, crash it took him out with uh, one of his young sons uh, I think in 83 or thereabouts but I've got a message this morning uh, that that is for the for the next generation to be honest and uh, it's language I'm not used to I'm going to have to uh, lean on my notes a bit um, and it's about it's about being human basically which I think is being challenged on, on, on a lot of levels. And I'll explain that more. But yesterday I was in the prayer breakfast for the SRE teaching, that is the scripture teaching in, in particular in our local schools, uh, in the Wyong High School uh, in particular, because uh, we, we help fund that, the collective churches. Isn't it great when the combined churches work together? I know you guys are over there doing your thing in Berkeley Vale. Well done, guys. Appreciate that. You're on the board, I believe. And uh, we're desperately trying to win hearts, young hearts, impressionable lives, might I say, to uh, our Lord, uh, the lover of their soul, in fact, and the giver of their identity. Uh, young people's identities being challenged, uh, their hearts and their minds are being challenged by a barrage of culture warfare. And uh, guys, anyone who is wanting to feed the sheep. Now, I was in the Anglican church, before you sit down, the Anglican church who fund a lot, apparently out of all the churches, they fund a lot of the SRE teaching. And they are just an older crowd, you know, 75 even older. And there was about, I'd say about 30 of them in that generation there last night. And they are dutifully giving because as you say, Roger, they want the sheep fed, the word of God. Jesus said to Peter, will you feed my sheep? And that's, that's what we're desperately trying to do. We're trying to feed uh, God's people the word of God, which is, it, it, it changes their life in a nanosecond. And, and, and it can give them such a blessed life. Uh, and that, that, is, that is why we, we love the Bible and believe in it, and attune our life to it, and meditate on it. It is food for the soul. But no one knows that until we tell them. No one knows that until we, um, I guess, uh, preach them, speak to them, and share the good news with them. So Father God, this morning, I'm asking that you would open ears and hearts to uh, this message, and, and that, Lord God, we would understand that the next generation, I'm talking about the Ys, the Zs, and the, uh, the Alphas, uh, the Alpha generation is my young Mosey. He, I think he's an Alpha, uh, an Alpha gen. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm talking about the Boomers. I'm talking about the XY. I'm talking about the Zs, the X. Uh, I'm talking about the Millennials who are desperately trying to get back into the church. 
after I believe, after a few years, maybe even after a couple of decades of warfare against these generations that didn't follow through after the baby boomer generation. The baby boomers are born from 47 to 64. Amen? Who's, who's in that crowd? And they, they, their, their allegiance to God was built on this, um, serving, giving, and attending. Serving, giving, and attending. So I'm looking out, and I know in this church, a lot of the boomers do that, and they become the pillars to the church. And the succeeding generations, they weren't into that. And they tell me, they tell me by, uh, you know, psychologists uh, tell me that, no, they need, and they just don't want dutiful attendance to church. They're not going to do it like the boomers did. Well, we guess should go to church. All right, I'll give. All right, I'll serve. Uh, no, the millennials need to encounter God. Matt, you need to encounter God, and in the encounter, they go, yeah, of course I'll give, of course I'll serve, and of course I'll attend. But if they never really encounter God, it does not really translate to them as being worth serving and loving God on a large scale. Jordan Peterson says, I'll tell you why your church is shrinking. You're not calling men and women in particular to sacrifice their whole life as you would in a war. Men and women went to war and they gave their whole life to defend their country. And, you know, men did that. Despite all, all the, you know, the self-protecting mechanisms of, uh, you know, preserve your life. No, I've got to do this. I've just got to go. And so what, we're, we're, what through the youth group we're believing is that they are encountering God. And then they will give their life to the Lord in a sacrificial way. So, Father, we thank you for the next gen. We thank you, Lord, for what is happening. And they're telling me in the schools, ah, good news. They told me the SRE teacher, the chaplain, said, now I'm not sure if this is happening in Berkeley Vale, years previous, the kids were not wanting to go to Scripture. And they would bring a note no, don't want to do that. And they would sit in class and just languish, goof off. And uh, our classes were quite shrunk. But now, because it's computerized, the parents are actually saying, no, I want my little Johnny, I want my little Susie to go to Scripture class. And the kids turn up at school and they go, no, no, I'm goofing off down here. No, you're not. Your parent wants you to go to Scripture class. What? No way. So give the Lord a hand. We're seeing, we're seeing the Scripture now. Now, in saying that, this is the point of all this, they're saying that they need Scripture teachers. They have not enough Scripture teachers. Maybe in Berkeley Vale is the same. Over here is the same. We need Scripture teachers, which is the most wonderful opportunity for anyone who has the good news and you can, you can uh, walk into a, a classroom and really, um, you know, share the gospel and, and share the good news. Pardon? Feed the lambs. <laughs> feed the lambs, that's right, Pastor Julie, feed the lambs. So, Father, I'm asking, uh, Lord, if there anybody be here in this place, maybe you're not working, you're retired. And uh, please, 
see the information desk. Father, again, we just open our hearts up to the next generation. They really do need God. They really need an understanding who they are, and they need to understand their humanity as God-created people. Lord, help me explain that uh, in, in a most revelatory way. And the saints say, amen. God bless you. Amen. Well, I got this message. I've had to beg and borrow a lot of this, but man, there's some good stuff out there. The first, the first statement I want to make is by Maximus the Confessor. He's a monk. He's a monk. He's just this genius uh, from Syria way back, 662, I think he died. But the quote I want to use, and it's the title of the message, is Christianity is an entirely new way of being human. Do you like that? Christianity is an entirely new way of being human. And I'll try and explain that. So, the world is wonky. Who can, who can concur with that? People of every location, persuasion, testify, they tell me, to this, to this thing about something's not right. Something's not right. A sense of a world gone awry, askew, and they're saying something's not right. We live in a world that is tearing itself apart and tearing each other apart. Is it time to panic? Uh, some would ask. No, it's not time to panic. Uh, the world is losing its senses because it's losing its sense, here it is, of what it means to be a human. The value, are you, can, are you agreeing with this already? The value of human life is diminishing. We're losing the understanding of what it means to be human. This is gonna be a great message. I'm looking forward to it. We need a revival and awakening of revelation that we are made in the image of God. No, you don't look like God. Don't get carried away. Um, it's about the nature of God. You are made with the same attributes and the nature of God. And one of those is intelligence. You have intelligence like no other creature on the earth. Would you concur? Yes. You have creativity. I know even animals can be quite creative in that, but we have creativity. That is amazing. Look at, look at the architecture of cities and, and science and, and look at that. Morality. We have morality like nothing else on the earth. I'm talking about being a human. We have a conscience, a conscience knowing that deep in the, in the seat of, of our heart that if it's right or wrong. But then the Bible says our conscience can be seared meaning we can just lose that sensitivity of what is wrong and right. Do you know what I'm saying? So we have a conscience, and we have a spirit. Now, this is the powerful thing for the youth. We have the youth sitting up on the front row for a first time in a long time. Prior to COVID, we had a Friday night expression of youth, and the youth group Man, all the days, we've, we've just had great youth groups from the inception of the church from 96. Prior to COVID, it started to dwindle, and then COVID hit, and then we had to shut it down. Um, and since 
post-COVID, we've not had a Friday night expression. We've been taking the youth and we've been taking them to have some uh, Bible study and activities. And, and Yes, thank you, Tim and Monique, for that. Yeah, give it up for them. Thank you so much, guys. But you know what? We have a tradition. Tradition. We have a tradition of youth group on Friday, and Julie's heart was, and thank you, Julie, because I didn't inspire this, but Julie said, we need a youth group on Friday. Our kids grew up on a Friday night youth group. We need to have a, a Friday night youth group again. And so, hello, cello. Maisie was seemingly uh, available and uh, just left school wanting to get serious for God, is actually signed up to do Bible studies with C3, well done, Bible college. And so thank you, but you've stood up and, be, and, and, and the Lord has honored that, I guess, that heart for us to create space for kids to come, young people to come, and they are coming. They are coming and desiring to come. And so thank you for that, Jesus. Now, last night, I just got to get this out. We don't usually attend uh, functions on a Saturday. It it's just takes us out of, the, out of the, the ball game of what we're trying to do for Sunday. We, we, well, honestly, we treat this, uh, Saturday as a Sabbath. And, um, but yesterday, for our good friend, Shane Hutchinson, your father, Matt, we said, we've got to go to Mangrove Mountain Community Hall and dress up in our bushwhacker outfit, hat. You would have loved to see Julie dressed up like that. It was just... Julie, Katrina was amazing. But I didn't realize what we were getting ourselves in for. It was a multi-generational gathering of mainly the family of Shane Hutchinson, who is one of our great men of our house. Is he not here today? Of course not. Couldn't imagine, no. I mean, it was starting to go into another gear by the time we left. Um, there was a bush band, and uh, the Mangrove Mountain Hall is a great um, colonial setting. And, uh, but I didn't know that it was going to be, uh, you know, dancing all night, you know, barn dancing, and um, the dance, actually, the dancing that we used to do in primary school in the 60s. We, we used to, they used to do that. It was part of the curriculum that you learnt how to do these dances, particularly, wasn't it? And, and, and so um, I realised that, and I heard that Shane's, he's turned 50, that his heart was to see everyone dancing. Now, Julie and I are totally into that. We dance the night away every, any chance we get. But Julie's knee was playing up. We did a slow waltz to honour the occasion. But young and old were into this barn dancing candy, weren't they? And they were into it. And I'm going, and I don't know, but dancing for me can just be so, provide such a sense of occasion, basically. And, and it unites people because you're holding hands with people, you're changing partners and... And, um, and I thought to myself, it is a traditional thing to dance. That's where my mum and dad met in a dance hall in Killeen in Wales. 
The Israelis are dancing, the Jews, they're dancing all the time. But you go to a wedding now, Evan, and, uh, and the men, they can't dance. The women want to dance, they end up dancing with each other. But, the, but Evan dances well. You would be proud of him, Grandfather Ian, you would be proud of your son. He really can cut the rug. We, and I thought, dancing, I'm so happy to see these little, little guys and girls dancing. Yes, the sacred art of dancing, the tradition of dancing, of what it means to be human. And I thought, yes, we need a renewed understanding of the nature and the destiny and the dreams of humans. The question of what is human, and I'm quoting this, is of a crisis proportion. Cambridge historian Richard Rex of Queen's College prioritizes three great crises in the history of Christianity. Number one, in its early centuries, the first crisis revolved around the theological question, what is God? And we're going way back centuries, centuries ago. What is God? Is he three persons? Is he the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Or is he just one entity? And what's his nature? That was a big question for Christianity. The second was, the second crisis was an eschatological one. What is the church? And this is from the 16th century. And when they began to ask that, it precipitated the reformation of the 16th century church and the fragmentation of the church. That's why we got so many different churches out there. Everyone's got their different version of what church should be. It is something to do with the, the human heart of not agreeing on matters. But the third one, which I thought was true, and it helps my message, we are currently, they say, in the midst of the third crisis over our identity question, and that is this. What is man? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? And you know, a lot of, uh, you see it dancing on the hot tin roof of controversial topics like abortion, uh, euthanasia, family, gender, homosexuality, infertility treatment. It's just the beginning. I went through those quick so you didn't get triggered. Notice that? <laughs> I don't want people writing me letters. <laughs> Does you, it is going on YouTube, by the way. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. You will love it. They're doing a great job recording. Well done, guys. Give them a hand clap. Does humanity, do we capitulate, give up, join the techno-utopian transhumanism? Whoa. That's why I have to borrow some of this language. Do we just join the techno-utopian transhumanism culture war? There is a conflict between the biblical Christian viewpoint, and the secular humanist worldviews. Now, I just want to be honest. This is a bold message I'm preaching. A lot of preachers would not even go there, but I just feel like I'm graced to do it. Is that cool? It's a battle for our minds, a war to decide whether our thoughts will be shaped by the wisdom of Marx, Darwin, Freud, Nietzsche, or by, the, or by the wisdom of God shared through Moses, the prophets, the apostles, and Jesus. Can I get a hand clap? 
So the five basic tenets of secular humanism, just to put you right, because I'm saying all this to say we have a culture war on our hands. And it's coming at your young children and your grandchildren. So I'm sorry, boomers, that you didn't get a doctrinal message or some simple gospel message, but this is on for young and old now. They're coming at us through media. They're coming at us through the, 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 the government, politics, and they're coming at us through the, the academic institutions of the world. You know, And so the five basic tenets of secular humanism is one, atheism. There's no God. Two, evolution, that we're you know, from monkeys and we're evolving. And three, amorality, amorality, meaning an absence or indifference towards a disregard or incapacity for morality. Four, human autonomy. I, look, I just want to run my own race. An individual's capacity of self-determination, of self-governance. I make my own rules. God's had his go over the millennia. It's time for man to arise. And, and, and we, can, we can make sense of this problematic issue of the, of the human heart. And, and we'll do that through science. I want to talk about that a little bit. And the next one is five globalism. And look, let's put all our heads together. Let's bring equality and, you know, the, the sentiments are, are maybe reasonable in some way, but no, it's about a control issue. Globalism, amen? I just triggered someone right there when I said that. As Christians, we dare not remain in the neutral in the battle. So the Nazi party were uh, rising up, and, um, and the church, 18,000 churches apparently in Germany, I've got to get this right, Hmm. Um, let, let's do it like 18,000 churches, 15% were all for the Nazi party. 15% were dead set against the Nazi party. The other percent, 60%, 70, thanks. Thanks, Katrina. 70%. The other 70%, we're just sitting on the fence. Let's be nice. We're in a nice little cocoon here of the subculture group called church. Let's not, let's not become, you know, antagonistic. We, uh, Romans, Romans 13, we should obey the laws of the land, civil laws of the land. Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was actually doing that, the great theologian, German theologian, and in the end, even as astute he was and, and, and so dedicated to the Lord's word, he said, no, I've got to become a voice. I've got to become a voice and begin to have a say about what I think is coming at us. And thank God, it cost him his life. They arrested him in the last moments of the war. They were so antagonized by him that they went after him after they were done and, and, and totally, you know, subdued. The Germans said, get that guy. Get that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the theologian. He spoke against us, the, man, the God man. Get him. So this is a real war. I said that because, again, it, it's real what we're facing. 
the enemy, Satan. He hates our voice. So as Christians, we dare not remain neutral in the battle. And we could talk about Elijah challenging Baal on Mount Carmel. And, uh, and we know that our Lord Jesus backed down Satan in the desert. That's a great story. Who loves that? And the Apostle Paul took on the pagan philosophers on Mars Hill. They say Paul just had this great mind. He was a genius. He could articulate the, 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 the depths of, of, of uh, I guess, philosophy and human thought. And he was just a master of reconciling it back to God. Thank God for the Apostle Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament. So in the same way they are saying, and I believe it's true, God's servants today are rising up to oppose Satan's strategies, strategies to overtake the world. There's so many good voices. I was listening to a biologist. I won't say the word, but he's a famous biologist. And he said, I cannot be silent anymore. The, the, the devastation I've seen because of the application of, notice how I'm very deliberately dancing around this, and, but he said, I cannot, he's one of the most outstanding biologists on the planet. He said, this is what I know to be true. And he's gone public. He's had to, you know, find a secured place. He's got people looking at him now, you know, and uh, checking his life out. But he said, I can't do anything. And he's the most articulate, gifted uh, doctor, scientist, I should say, that is saying, this is what I know to be true. And if you want to see that interview, Tucker Carlson interviewed him, a most brilliant man. But this is what the Lord says. Now, just quickly, where's this going? This is about humanity getting so brainy, so intelligent, so amazingly, um, I guess, informed, and, and, and to be able to think, you know what? We could make sense of this planet and the human condition we could do this by ah, transhumanism. Trans. Can you, have we got that one minute? People don't know what transhumanism is. Can we just do that one minute? Transhumanism. Transhumanism is the theory that mankind can evolve past their limitations, physical and mental, through science and technology. Check out what the serpent told Adam and Eve in the garden. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Satan basically told them that they were going to evolve, become greater than themselves. It seems that mankind is willing to do whatever it takes to live forever without God. The reason these people want to live forever without God is so that they can live forever in their sin. But people fail to understand that we will never experience immortality without God. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. No technology and no medicine is going to allow us to live forever. The only way to live forever is to be saved by Jesus. Transhumanism is the philosophical and scientific movement that advocates the use of current and emerging technologies such as genetic engineering, cryonics, artificial intelligence, AI, and nanotechnology to augment, augment is to add to, to make better, augment human capabilities and improve the human condition. Now, I'm just thinking, I haven't read the news article, but 
did uh, Elon Musk come up with? Neutralink's brain chip is running in a human now. They've done it. Your, your skull is safe for now, guys. Just don't get triggered. Your skull is safe for now. The initial results are showing the implant, which Musk said is named tele, tele, telepathy. Yes, and it, it registers spikes in the brains, and yes. Uh, as a human, yes. Um, so transhumanism is about we can evolve, we can maybe augment a human life and, and make it more e efficient, effective, more better behaved even. Maybe they're thinking about doing this for criminals even. I'm not sure. Um, but I thought, I heard that people are writing books with AI. And okay, it didn't gel with me when this actually author was telling me that they were writing their books with AI. I'm going, and it says it just grabs, you tell it what you want to write, a given subject, and it grabs, you know, many... Uh, references, and you decide which to put in there, and it puts it together according to your language, according to your um, personality. I'm going, wow, that that's, doesn't sound real great. I wouldn't be happy to release a book like that. No soul, no soul, no, you know, really, it, it's devoid of the, of the, you know, the, the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into the book, the real... The revelation, Julie's saying, the soul. And, and so I realized people are releasing books and they're becoming authors. Uh, and people pride themselves, I'm an author. Because I went to a program, an AI program, wrote a book, I'm an author. Well, I'm not sure about that. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> Jeremiah 17 verse 5 says it like this. This is what the Lord says, cursed is the one who trusts in man who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Verse 6, that person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Verse 7, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the streams. It does not fear when heat comes. It leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit, even in old age. I believe we have some Scottish folk here today. One of your Sco Scottish poets, Lachlan McKinnon, uh, in a book, Doves 2017, I'm giving proper reference there. He says, bewilderment at the wilderness men make of what is human and humane. You need to read that and contemplate that. But we make wilderness, wildernesses of being just, you know, trying to work this deal out ourselves. With bewilderment at the wilderness men make of what is human and humane. You look at some lives, some people's lives, and how did you get, man, how did, you're a good person, man. I mean, you've got so much wherefore, you've got so much of capacity and ability, and your life is a wilderness. Ah, we no longer know what a human is, either in unity or in diversity. That's why we're fighting for community. We're fighting to be the community. 
where once humans made machines, now machines make humans. And the machine and the machines humans do make are becoming our most preferred relationship. Few Christians even have an understanding of what it means to be a human in the same way Jesus is and was. We want Jesus to be like us rather than be like Jesus. We want to leave our humanity behind. I I want you to think out there with all the struggles of people having identification problems when I'm saying this. We want to leave our humanity behind when Jesus came to show us how to embrace our humanity fully. Ah, I'm loving that. Wild at heart, the pause, John Eldridge. He's, he's showing us how to embrace our humanity, the deep parts of our life, the emotions, the lamenting through the Psalms. You know, yes, own up to your plight. Own up to your emotional stuff that you're, you're feeling and experiencing. And the, the Psalms will tell you and help you converse with God in a way that is real and so that in turn he can go, thank you for showing me that. I knew it, but I wanted you to admit it. I wanted you to be real about it. And now I can work on it. Now I can bring revelation to that area of your life. And that is exactly where we are as Christians right now. It's about our humanity and dealing with the deep parts of our life as a spirit person And we are trying to bring revelation to the youth and saying, youth, you are a spirit person. You're you're not an atheist. You're you're not, you're someone who's built to worship. And yes, it can go all awry. As you've seen the other generations, they've worshipped stuff. They've worshipped money, colorbond roofs. They've worshipped all sorts. (laughs) They've worshipped music. That's why they're studying Ephesians. Love it. Yes. The restoration. Ooh, hang on. Let me go back. We want to leave our humanity behind when Jesus came to show us how to embrace our humanity fully. Who wants to embrace their humanity fully? It is our sacred duty to be human. Amen? Can I say, can can we hear an amen? The identity is not who we have become, but who we were created to be. The story of humanity is the story of the first to the last Adam. The first Adam, a failed human, we know that. The apple, he disobeyed God in the garden. And the last Adam, the consummate human, the human one. Our identity crisis is only a crisis because we have failed to find the identity of Christ and in, and in the storyline of humans created in the image of God. You will find your identity in here, in his story. History, no, his story. You will find your life. We humans are a work in progress. Amen. In showing us the way to God, Jesus shows us the way to ourselves and the way to be human. You getting this? All of human life is here. It's here in one story. It's called the Bible. That's why it's so precious. Our youth group has been resurrected. All that it means to be human is here in one person, Jesus, 
the greatest human ever born on the earth. To become a follower of the world's greatest human, it is, it is to live a Jesus humanity capable of loving, accepting, and forgiving all that we encounter and minister to, giving life abundant. As a human, Jesus experienced all the ordinary, non-sinful limitations of humanity. He grew and developed. He experienced hunger, thirst, weariness, and the full range of human emotions. His humanity was, an in, was integral to his saving work as his divinity. Amen. All that it means to be human. Mm. Learning to be a disciple of Jesus is learning to be human. Wow. Being in a world that has been hu-maimed, hu-maimed, this is a clever guy, this guy, I borrowed this stuff from very clever guy. Be hu-maimed, our true identity has been amputated or disfigured. That's what's happening with our young people. The Jesus story is about being human and human being, both of which follow from following Jesus. Jesus, the life giver and the author of life, Acts 3.15, many have begun a journey of fighting for their full humanity as part of the redemption of all creation, the restoration of all things. I'm loving it. I'm not going to point out people here, but I'm actually seeing people transforming, as Julie said. What, what is it? What's our... Say, please. Experience. Transform. Belong. Reach. That is our culture of our church. Transform. We should be changing. We should be changing. I did a message here two years ago. I was talking about being brought over from England on the boat. Ten pound quid uh, child, three months old, in a boat. My mum said we went through big, a big storm. The, the seas were high. She didn't tell me any, anything more than that. But later I found out with some uh, research that we went through a hurricane, Hurricane Helena. And my crib was banging from one side of the door and it got caught in the door. And then the staff of the boat had to force the door in and I was crying uncontrollably in my crib on that boat over the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, category five, I believe, Hurricane Helena, 1958. Julie worked it out. She said, what? She said there were storms around. What year? So about August. Uh, hello? <laughs> and I was doing this illustrated sermon about the Lord being in the storm and that. I got home that night and I got triggered. All the emotional, the emotional trauma of what I actually went through that I buffed off as a real man that I thought, you know, just shake it off. You wuss, you're three months old, you should be handling that. <laughs> Get a grip, what are you yelling for? And I realized I got home and I was triggered. I said, Jill, that message did something to me. I don't know what it was. Oh, that's right, okay, the story was real. That's right, I really did go through a traumatic event and it took me a few days, a week and longer. A few 
to reconcile it with the Lord. <laughs> What'd you say? Few months. Few months. All right, Julie. Be real. Took me a day to get over it. Get over it. Maybe a week. Maybe it was a month. <laughs> I believe this and I'll say it again. Many have begun a journey of fighting for their full humanity as part of the redemption of all creation, the restoration of all things, the Bible says. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, including on the boomers, including every generation, 20, that they may send Jesus Christ and that he may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of the holy prophets since the world began. Amen. Jesus doesn't help us rise above our humanity, but enters into our humanity. And Jesus' healing of the human nature brings us, as Paul said in Romans 6:4, newness of life and returns to us our original inheritance as true, pure humans, true blue, true blue Aussie humans, eternal life. By eternal life, I mean to say this, it is understood by something that begins after his human life ends. But the eternal, not just when you die and go to heaven, I'm talking about what happens when you give your life to the Lord and eternal life enters into your heart. The eternal presence and the fullness of life hereafter. The Bible says uh, pertaining to eternal life. What is eternal life? John 17 verse 3. And this is eternal life that they may know you. See, we have this concept, eternal life is when I lay my head down and finally go to be with him in his presence. No, eternal life is now. Eternal, you should be experiencing eternal life now. Can I hear an amen? amen. Jesus said himself, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And in the Greek, eternal life means the everlasting God life. Zoe, Z-O-E, Zozo life. This is the spiritual essence of what we receive when we are born again. John 5.21 says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. Let's pray that that happens to all the youth group, all, all the kids that are coming to the youth group. That life that we receive from God when we are born again by the working of the Holy Spirit is the very God life existing in Jesus Christ. And as we walk out our daily Christian walk with Jesus, we walk in the same victory, the same authority and power that he walked in during his ministry on the earth. Again, Zoe, Z-O-E, means eternal life, the God kind of life, the rich, abundant, divine nature of God, his fullness of love, 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 joy, joy, peace, power, and ability to transcend all the difficulties of life, to be able to push against that culture, to swim against that culture drift that's happening in the world, trying to make us transhuman. We're pushing against it. Even our young people, at a young age, I see kids just loving God, worshiping God. They're pushing against that, 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 that persuasion 
of our, polit- of our, of our, of our culture drift, and they're pushing against that, and thank God for it. God's rescue plan for mankind, quickly, God's love motivates us. It motivates us in the rescue plan. The Word of God says, God's love is eternal and unchangeable. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. I have drawn you. Lord, we pray for every student in the schools, in the surrounding schools, that your everlasting love is drawing them, drawing them to be reconciled, reconciled in mind and heart to know you, God, that you are the lover of their soul. Um, Thank you, Jesus. 1 John 4, 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Whoa, okay, 1 John 4, 8. If you're not loving, if your love is down on the scale, whoa. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Two, God's love is expressed through Jesus. This is God's rescue plan I'm talking about. God's love is expressed through Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let us never forget that scripture. Three, the heart of God is for the heart of man. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Dave, I said Ezekiel. Then I will give them one heart. That's my neighbor. His son's Ezekiel, lovely boy. Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them. Now, this is my favorite scripture and it's a bunch of theology in this. It's a prophecy from Ezekiel 700 years before Christ who actually, through the coming of Christ, we were reconstituted, not not to follow the the law as such anymore, but to follow God by our heart. And Ezekiel's saying, there's coming a day, guys. You're not going to have to have 660 rules of engagement with God. Yes, there's the Ten Commandments, but man kept on making these rules up to get to God. Hey, I got another rule, you know. He said, no, no, Jesus, Jesus was going to come. He always was going to come. And, the, and Ezekiel, the prophet, knew that. And he says, there will come a time, then I will give them one heart. And I will put a new spirit within them. Now, the spirit only came on the king's priests and prophets. The Spirit came upon them to do their duties and their roles, and the Spirit would come off. No, this is different. When you got saved, when you became born again, you received the Spirit as a down payment unto your salvation. And you can be baptized in the Holy Ghost and have more of the Spirit if you want and get a little bit animated. It's a, it's a bit of a problem if you're an introvert and you don't want to become animated. I don't want to. Well, there goes my hand. No. In, in 1985 in Memorial Park in Liverpool, I got, the, got my hands on the pram. I'm streetwise. I've lived a whole bunch of the 70s, you know, just worried about what people think and say. And now Julie's singing in the park at Memorial Park in 1985 when we joined the church. She said, you can sing great. You're up, up there. What? All right. Singing Keith Green songs. In, in, in 1985, in the park, in Liverpool, and Amy Grant songs. And I've got little Jilly in that pram, and I've got my hands on that pram. My hands are not going up in public. No way. I, yes, yes, yes. I'm trying to duck, and if anyone sees me of my old crowd. And, and, uh, but you know what? After a while, my hand went up, 
Oh, okay. All right. So be it. All right. Man, I've got to hang on to this pram. This pram might roll away. This, this child needs to know. I love this child. Oh, blow it. The hand goes up. All right. I give up. <laughs> That's what happens when you get spirit-filled, man. Because what happens then, I will give them one heart and I'll put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 11.20 says that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. He just may live a pleasing life, basically, and, and walk in the spirit and walk by faith, not by sight. And that they shall be my people and I will be their God. Oh, what a love. And lastly, God is motiva motivated by his covenantal love. Ephesians 1, verse 3 to verse 10. And if we were to read it, it would blow you away, everything that is in that. The youth are actually doing that. And uh, now, to those with faith, quote, no explanation is necessary to those without Say it again. To those with faith, no explanation is necessary. To those without faith, no explanation is possible. St. Thomas Aquinas. C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest thinkers on the planet, helped reconcile a lot of people after the war uh, through his radio program. He says, the fact that our heart yearns for something, something earth can't supply is proof that heaven must be our home. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us, I'm nearly done, into all truth. Jude 1.20, great scripture, I love it. But you, beloved, I'm pointing to all you, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God, as Julia was saying at the start, the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Father, we want to be passionate for you, Lord God. Colossians 1.27, to them God willed to make known what are the riches, the riches of, his, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I hope you explain that to youth leaders. And my time is gone. I had a little bit more than to say, but I will say this, I'm praying for every generation. Let me just say this, God is much more concerned about your character and your relationship with him than he is about your gifts or anointing or calling. He, call, he cares about more about the condition of your soul than whether you are doing great works for the kingdom. It's men of faith versus men of science, guys. We need men and women of faith to stand up, especially the millennials and every generation succeeding them. Let me say this. The generations uh, are called, there's a definition for them, the builders. The generation called the builders were born prior to 1946. There's an another, another description, the greatest generation, they call them. Yes, is, is it up? Yeah, put that up. That's awesome. These are the jets. So when we talk generationally, we're talking about the builders. These are the guys that built the bridges, the roads, the cities. 
men have built so much infrastructure on the planet, it's unbelievable. The builders born prior to 1946, hanging off skyscrapers, flicking hot rivets to each other. Ah, but they actually call it the greatest generation. They're born from 1901 to 1924, the greatest generation. Give a hand clap for the greatest generation, the builders. Then there's the silent generation, which my father born in 1927 in Wales. They became the silent generation because they went through the war. They were so traumatized and everything they saw was so ugly that they become silent and their emotions become bottled up. They didn't share really what happened to them. Counseling was a thing back then. They weren't able to, you know, get healed basically and a lot of them turned to drink a lot of them did silly stuff that's the silent generation born 1925 to 1945 the baby boomers are in the house born 46 to 64 I was born in 58 the baby boomers generation X born 1965 to 1979 generation Y born 1980 to 1994, or we call them the millennials, 1981 to 1996. That'd, that'd be you, um, Ev, wouldn't it? wouldn't it? A millennial? Now I have to be honest, guys, the millennials let us down. They didn't transfer really. Sorry, Ev, stand up so we all can see your generation. It's my son-in-law. I can, I can embarrass him a little bit. But son, you let us down. The boomers did all this great work. We built buildings. We're hoping you'd be doing all that. You know, they're great. And there's a lot of millennials that are in the church and they are so critical because without the millennials, it's going to be like that, unfortunately, that lovely little Anglican church that, that have basically their youth group is 70 and over. Um, and they're desperate. They actually came to our last pastor's gathering at Magenta Shores. We had three Anglican ministers. We've never had this. They've never, they've never come over the wall. They've never come into our proximity with all the pastors. But they, and I just couldn't help it. I, I love to work out, why, why are you here? I said, why are you here? Man, we've never had Anglican ministers in, in our ecumenical pastor's gathering. And they said, oh, things are not great. We're not winning new people. Um, you know, we're worried. You know, we're shrinking. A lot, a lot of the old people didn't come back after COVID. And, and we want to we hear what you guys are saying. We, we just want to hear conversation. We, we, don't, we don't want you to tell us what to do. But we, we just want to know that, hey, are we in the same boat or are we doing something wrong? And three of them told me that. And, and we love the church. We love the church right across. We don't care as long as it's Christ-centered. And our heart goes out to them that they are not getting the, the Gen X in, the Gen Y and the millennials in, the Gen Zs are not stepping up. 19 to 95, 2009, and Generation Alpha born 2010 to 2024. That is my grandchildren right there. Praise God. Let's pray, Father in heaven. As we seek, can we all say this together? I'm done. As we seek to know you and your will in our lives, I'm going to start again. Someone wasn't ready. We're going to pray with everything I've said. Oh, it's up there. Great. Well, let me just wait. Let me. 
Let me just say this before we start. Jesus, we want to be human. We don't want to be transhuman. We don't want to be augmented by science, impregnations, spiritually, sociologically, psychologically. Lord, we are enough. We're made in your image with intelligence, creativity, spirit. Father, we are made in your image, created to be absolutely amazing in our lifetime. So Father, we say this prayer in terms of that. Father, as we seek to know you and your will in our lives. Let's say it again. Father, as we seek to know you and your will in our lives, as we desire to lay hold of all those things that Jesus paid such a high price to give to us, let your Holy Spirit lead us and guide us into all truth. Father, cover us in the blood of Jesus and set a hedge about us to keep us safe in the center of your will. Let your angels have charge over us and according to Colossians 1.9, let wisdom, revelation and knowledge of your will be established in us. Father, teach us about your kingdom. We yield to you and your will teach us and give us lessons in reaching others with your love. And the saints say, and the saints say, can we just stand right now if you could please?